Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, welcome back to Building Great Sales Teams. Hopefully, you're not driving for this one because I, I feel like I've been I've been following this guy for a couple of years now. We uh, connected in a mastermind group and have been connected on social media ever since. And I feel like the alignment is there in terms of that integrator type personality. So you're probably going to need to take some notes on this one. So hopefully you're in a position to do that because we have Sean Barnes on the show. He's the founder of WSS Solutions and the Way of the Wolf podcast. If you're not subscribed to that, go ahead and do that. He's been building businesses. He's been in leadership development and M&A and integration are his expertise. Sean, welcome to the show, brother. Doug, man, I am so pumped. And after seeing that intro, I'm just like, I've got to step up my podcast game after seeing that. Jeez. Yeah, uh, my previous producer put that together. He's a talent in himself, and he went on to do more and more amazing things, but I definitely kept that intro. So Yeah, it's slick. Awesome. Well, let me ask you this. I, I, I went and looked at some of your content before we hopped on here, and I was really intrigued by uh, some of your most recent content that talked about the peer principle. And so just to give somebody, everybody something to sink their teeth into right away, can you walk us through that and why you created that piece of content? Yeah, you know, this is something that I have started to learn more about over the past, we'll say, five to seven years. I've always experienced, or I think we've all gone through and had bosses in our career that we just think, man, this guy is a complete idiot. Why on earth am I reporting to this person? And what I've come to recognize is that's kind of a result of the Peter principle. And what that basically means is somebody has has risen just above their level of competence, and then they have just stalled out. So you see somebody that maybe they were a great systems engineer and they get into an IT manager role, and then they just stay in that role for 10, 15, 20 years. They just never really progress beyond that. Because the reality is, as we progress in our careers, we have to learn new skills to continue to progress and grow. What makes the strongest systems engineer does not mean that that person is going to be a strong manager. Does definitely doesn't mean they're going to be strong at leading a team of engineers or mm -hmm. stepping into that director level role. Because as you progress into manager and director and VP level roles, you have to start learning more skills around how to effectively lead people, how to navigate crucial conversations. And so you see people that stall out. They are kind of a, a usually a result of the Peter principle. And it's, it is challenging to kind of deal with those managers. But once you know what is going on and you start developing your own leadership skills, you can lead up and help guide them along the way. Uh, it, it makes a ton of sense. And you, you definitely see it all the time in sales. I mean, it's, it's classic. The, the top salesperson gets promoted to a sales management role and then subsequently falls apart. <laughs> you know what I mean? In that role. And it's just like, just do what I do. Why can't you guys just do what I do? You know, mm -hmm. it's because yeah. he doesn't know how to manage people. And then the company on top of that probably didn't give him, you know, systems and processes and structures to follow in order to manage people without mm -hmm. being a great leader. So where do you find uh, that first pivot point is in leadership development and that person that just got promoted? Where should they, if, it, if it's the individual or the company, what should they have in place to immediately put them through or have them focus on to develop them as a leader? Man, that's a great question. You know, one of the things that that I've come to realize over the years is that people they find themselves in leadership roles kind of like what you just cited, where they're the best salesperson on the team. Well, it makes sense that we have that we have Doug leave the team or Mike lead the team or, you know, whoever the, the top performer is. Well, OK, great. So they know how to sell, but do they know how to develop sales people so that they can sell? And one of the biggest turning points to create successful leaders, in my opinion, is you have to check your own ego and recognize that it is no longer about how many sales can I make. 
you now are in a role where you have to be a force multiplier and you have to figure out how do I get these five people to sell as much as possible. And Jason might need to learn different tactics. Sally might need to better understand how a CRM works. Mary might need to better understand what this pipeline looks like and how to start yeah. filling the pipeline. So as a, a sales leader or leader in general, you have to start understanding what each member of your team actually needs and then coach them and guide them and mentor them the way that they need to be led so that you can extract the most out of them. And I love that answer because it's, it's custom to the individual you know, and it fills in the gaps, right? So we all have these gaps and these reasons that we should partner with or be coached or consult and whatever the case is, because we have these gaps. And so from a leadership standpoint, you're looking at this leader you're about to promote and maybe you're preemptively filling those gaps too, to where you're developing them to be a leader someday versus just putting them in a leadership position and saying, oh, hey, now let's develop them. That's always going to be tough to be able to do that, right? It is. And, you know, that's actually a great point that I would like to dive into a little bit. Whenever I think of some of the strongest leaders that I've been fortunate to be able to coach and mentor and build over the years, I was working with them and made it very clear, hey, I'm envisioning you stepping into this director of IT role. But before we get you there, I need to see this, this and this. The company needs this, this and this out of you. And so what yeah. you're doing is you're laying out the path. And you're telling them this is exactly what you need to accomplish to be able to step in to that leadership role. And so you're, you're, you're laying out this path and you're really just giving them the opportunity to walk it. And so when you see this high potential employee start walking that path, then it kind of lends additional credibility and you know, okay, I've made the right decision. He's pursuing it or she's pursuing it. They're taking all the the right steps, they're moving in the right direction, they're educating themselves. And so it's almost as a senior leader in the organization, you're again, you're just laying this path out. And when you see them start to walk that path, mm -hmm. you kind of know who the person is going to be. And there have been instances in the past where I've had a similar conversation with multiple people across my team. Jason, this opportunity is going to come up in the next few years. Sally, Sharon, the, here is the opportunity, and I just have point-blank conversations. Sharon, I need to see this, this, and this from you. Jason, I need you to check your ego. I need you to calm down and not be yeah. such an ass to people. But it, And you start just teaching people and, and coaching them, and really, the opportunity exists, and you just see who rises to the occasion. Inevitably, one is going to start rising at a faster rate than others, and that's your answer. And I think that's a misstep that a lot of senior leaders struggle with is it's like, man, mm, that Jason guy, I like going out and having beers with him. He's fun to hang exactly. out with. Yeah. And they put him in charge when maybe Sally was the right fit. So we have to just create the opportunity, create transparency. And then if Jason is the one that rises to the occasion, everybody else on the team should not be shocked when Jason receives the promotion. You know, uh, when it comes to some of the things that I consult on, which is sales programs, um, you know, people often ask, why do you have so much conviction about doing things this way? Well, it's, it's a big part of it is because of the podcast, you know, bringing on experts like yourself. And, you know, one of the things that we do and that the listeners know all about is an opportunity structure. And an opportunity structure in the sales program is very, hey, do X, Y, and Z, and you'll promote yourself to the next level. Because with a sales team, you can grow a sales team organically, and there is no limitation, especially if they're 1099, because you're not dealing with salaries, W-2, all that good stuff. So it's just like, hey, let's just grow, you know? And so the X, Y, and Z is X maybe tenure or the time with the company, Y maybe a certain sales minimum, and then Z is duplicating yourself, showing that, hey, I can train someone get them to minimum standards or above minimum standards. And I've shown that capability to do that while Sally, like you talked about, maybe isn't able to do that. And that's where you kind of get your leadership filter start happening at an entry yeah. level, with like middle management or a trainer type position in between that they get paid for training, something mm -hmm. like that. 
So hearing hearing you say that and just kind of recognizing some of those similar concepts is 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 very uh, reassuring in that sense for sure. You know so, what's actually really impressive? I'm I'm flashing back to my former VP of IT at the company that I that I left last year. Phenomenal leader. Worked with him on and off at different companies for oh god over a decade. Mm-hmm. But watching his growth at, from a a highly proficient systems engineer that was one of the best at what he did and trying to pull him into a leadership role. And I, I, I use that analogy because quite frankly, it took me six months to convince him to come over as an IT manager at the company that I was working at at the time, because he just had this mindset of, no, I'm an engineer. I've never managed people. I don't know anything about that. Like yeah. Jonathan, look, dude, you are, you are made for this. I know you're nervous. In any event, so he ended up stepping into that role. Time goes on. He gets promoted to director. He gets promoted to vice president. There were times when I would see people on his team as I started to lead other functional domains and outside of IT. I just really let him run with it. But there's one individual in particular on the team that, man, he just couldn't get there. And I had pretty much written off. He was a communications like network admin type guy. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan's like, no, I can get him there. I can get him there. I was like, all right, fine. Well, you know, best of luck on that. And and that says a lot coming from me because I'm the yeah. eternal optimist. And my, my passion and purpose is building people. But mm-hmm. at a point you have to recognize, okay, they don't want it. I have to focus my energy and effort elsewhere. Anyways, he completely turned this kid around and he turned into an absolute rock star. So I get excited whenever I see that because in seeing Jonathan's growth over the years and then seeing him be able to actually turn somebody around and turn them into an absolute rock star, man, it's just that is what motivates and inspires me and and whenever I think about my mission and purpose in life being, I want to positively impact the generational legacy of everybody that I work with, there's this ripple effect because if I'm able to successfully build five leaders and Mm -hmm. they can build two more leaders each, you think about how that starts to ripple through organizations and and companies and and areas of the country, right? So we we can have this very powerful ripple effect if we stay focused on our mission and purpose. And obviously yours is more in the sales arena. Mine's more focused on leadership development side of things. Mm -hmm. But it's extremely powerful when we are on our mission and purpose and are able to positively impact more and more people. So in mentioning that, that, that purpose, and I couldn't agree more with what you're saying, uh, you also mentioned that you left, you know, what I'm assuming is corporate America last year. And mm-hmm. uh, was it your purpose that pulled you out of that? What did that journey look like? Yeah, actually. So I have aspired to have my own company for, <laughs> for a very long time. Right out of college, I had two failed attempts. I would try to start a PC repair company and that didn't work out. And then also tried to start an automotive speed shop just because I love racing cars. Uh, both of those failed miserably. And I realized that I had student loans to pay off and I had to get a real job. But I've always had this this burning desire inside of me to, to start my own company and build my own team and and just really build something of my own. And I worked for a bank for a little while and then found myself in oil and gas, which worked out really well for me. I spent probably 16 years in total in oil and gas, primarily in IT. And then I also started leading HR and then safety and the transportation, kind of all corporate functions aside from accounting, because Mm -hmm. nobody wants to work with accountants. So so I, I learned a lot in that process. Now, in oil and gas, it's a highly acquisitive industry. So I had the opportunity to be a part of about 48 acquisitions and integrations and got to work very closely with many of these entrepreneurs. So we would acquire their company and then Mm -hmm. I would have the opportunity to go in and help with the integration. At first it was just the IT side of things and then it branched out into every other area pertaining to the integration. 
So I was able to learn more and more and more. And then just surrounding myself with all of these entrepreneurs, just I've always admired and respected them. And last year, let's see, I was, say I was 41 and I just decided, yeah. you know what, I, I gotta, I've got to give this a try. I have to go one more time all in. And it was tough. I remember having a conversation with my mom and <laughs> My, my former employer, they, they paid me very, very well mm -hmm. and had the conversation with my mom. Okay. I'm going to do this. She's like, oh, you sure about that? You, you sure about that? <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, I, I'm at the point in my life where I, I had to do it. So I had to go all in and because my passion and purpose is coaching and leadership development. And also to be fair, I'd kind of reached a ceiling at the company like there was nowhere else for me to go in terms of growth because i was leading all of corporate operations and they're just yeah there wasn't any opportunities for growth which is fine yeah. but i i figured okay i have this mission and purpose i want to have a greater impact outside of one company and so now we've gone out and we have two primary verticals. We do coaching, executive coaching, leadership development, and then we have consulting. A lot of the consulting stuff is in operational excellence, supply chain optimization. Uh, we do a lot of HR, HRIS implementations and things like that. But it's really mm -hmm. the coaching and the consulting are the two primary verticals. Yeah. So you got the website pulled up. So people, processes, and technology are really core to what we focus on. And then there's leadership development across the top of it. And this is an area that I've seen over the years, a lot of businesses struggle because they will think this new ERP system will actually solve all of their problems. Well, not if you have process problems. So you've got to have those fixed first. And quite frankly, people are the foundation of everything. If you don't have the right people in place that understand your business, you're probably going to struggle to have the right processes in place to scale your businesses. Once you have people in place and the right processes in place, you use technology as a force multiplier to, mm -hmm. to really amplify and take things up to the next level. And just a lot of companies I've seen over the years, they kind of get it backwards. They think, oh, this new technology solution will, will change our lives. Now, AI, generative AI, and everything that's going on over the last 18 months, that is revolutionizing things. But again, if you don't have the right people in place that understand the technology, you're really opening yourself up to a significant amount of risk if you do it wrong. This is this is a big problem in our space right now in consulting, coaching. Um, you know, everybody thinks that the technology or AI is the answer, but a lot of times they're not breaking the system first before they they bring in that technology or bring in AI or whatever the case is. Um, and I'm I'm a big proponent of that. Let's use the system, break it, redo it, fix it, mold it. You know, make sure that it's malleable so it, it, it can adapt to marketplace trends or um, what's going on internally in the company or our leadership. Before we put in this expensive technology that we're expecting to solve all our problems, we don't even. It, it, here's what happens. They don't have a proven system to even apply the technology to, you know, which the, the most classic example I see of this is like, go high level. You've got the solopreneur. Maybe he's got a million dollar business. He hires a salesperson. And then uh, somebody tells them you need a CRM if you have a salesperson. Well, a spreadsheet will work to start. You know what I'm saying? It will work just fine. Yeah. And if your salesperson gets comfortable with that, your new salesperson, because you're developing a whole new sales program. All right, now let's move into the CRM because then now they know the process and how to build that CRM according to the process that works. Yeah. You know, and 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 so many people skip that first proof of concept step when they're developing a system within their business that is outside of their it's no longer between their ears and now on paper, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, that I just, I see that happen all the time, which I like the order of things that, you know, that you're working in because it makes a ton of sense. So when looking at the, the avatar, the client that you work with, what does that look like? Yeah. Our target customers usually have anywhere from 150 to we'll say 1500 employees, and revenue, I'm going to say 50 million to maybe mm -hmm. four or 500 million. We have some that are a little bit larger than that and some that are actually a little bit smaller, but that, that's really the sweet spot for us. 
-hmm. And the reason being is because what I have seen over the years, we have the solopreneurs and we have the entrepreneurs that are kind of starting their businesses right. up and, and they're getting those foundational pieces in place. And mm-hmm. that's, hmm, I'm going to say, I'm not sure how this is going to come across, but that's relatively the easy part. It's not easy to be clear, but right. whenever you think about business at scale, whenever you're starting, that is the easy part. Okay. You need, you need QuickBooks, you need a website, you need some foundational stuff. Yeah. Right. But where I see businesses start to struggle is once they eclipse about a hundred to 120 employees, mm-hmm. and this is going to vary from industry to industry, but you yeah. start to, see these shifts because what happens is at that point, you have to have some foundational stuff put in place as far as usually having to get in-house HR, in-house IT. You need some foundational pieces of your business to scale to that next level. You can no longer have a whole bunch of people running around assembling completion tools and expect it to continue to grow because you reach a ceiling and you have to start usually upgrading. Okay, what financial system are we using? Do we need to start looking at something bigger that gives us a little bit more functionality, a little bit more detailed reporting? So a lot of businesses struggle once they get past 100, 150 employees And that's really the area that I like to focus on because Mm. myself, our team, we're very proficient at putting those systems in place. And a lot of business leaders, they actually struggle at that point because what happens is they have this mindset of, you mean, I have to hire dedicated HR, dedicated IT. I have to invest in this ERP system, this big CRM that's going to crush my margin. Yes, it is going to affect your margin. But I tell you what, if your margin is, if you're making a million in revenue, well, let's just say 10 million in revenue and your margin's 10%, okay, right? That's great. But if your margin drops to, let's say, 7 or 8%, but you're now at 20 million in revenue, you're in a much better place. Right. And that's a tough pill to swallow because people start (laughs) living off of their top line and their margins, right? That's what so many people, well, this is going to crush my margin. Okay. But we're talking scale here. And so these are, these are conversations that sometimes business leaders struggle with. Once you get them over that hump and they start to see the volume increase, you're like, okay, all right. uh, Now, now I get it. So we like operating in that sweet spot. And then I like to stay below 1,500-ish employees. Now, this is not a hard and fast rule, but in my experience, once you get above that number, the organizations start getting rife with politics and bureaucracy and bloat, and it becomes increasingly difficult to affect change just because of all the red tape that you have to cut through. And because Mm -hmm. we are all about positively impacting lives and teams and businesses, I would much rather focus on organizations in that range because we can affect change quickly at scale within their organization and not have to deal with the politics and the layer and layer and layer of, of egos and just everything that comes along with it. So that that's kind of the reasoning behind us having that sweet spot. You know, I like how dialed in your avatar is. Because I think too many coaches, consulting companies, um, you know, these B2B businesses just have it wide open, you know, and I don't think it should be like in my case, I'm probably in between the one to 20 million after about mm-hmm. 20 million, mm-hmm. like the amount of impact that I can have is minimized. You know what I mean? When I'm consulting for a company, it's a hundred percent minimized. Cause I, I do, I live in that solopreneur it's an entrepreneur it's a small, you know, medium sized business space. And, uh, but I, I understand what you're saying in that, like, right now you're going from medium sized business to corporate. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're truly having to put things in place to manage hundreds of people now versus, you know, uh, th- 20 or 30 people. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different animal. And you do, you have to have layered leadership development along the way, which is what you guys implement in order to sustain and to grow. You know, it it can no longer be lead from the front anymore. You're literally leading from the back and making sure that, you know, every department or process isn't breaking at some point. And then if it breaks, then you're not even the one fixing it, but you're making sure to 
delegate the one that's fixing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. it's a it's a whole different animal. You can't just go out and strong arm it anymore. It's yeah. got to be a calculated approach. Um, okay. So, you know, one of the the concepts that you talk about a lot is leading teams during challenging times. And so we've we've gone through this cycle, a uh, very compressed cycle, the last four years or so, where you know COVID happened, you know uh, a lot of government money was put in the marketplace, and then you know in general, small business owners and medium sized business and big business ate really good for twenty one and twenty two, and then that money ran out, and uh, if you did not reinforce your business or did not have the resolve to deal with a downturn in business in 23 and a lot of people went out of business. We saw a lot in the solar space with solar installers. Um, we saw a lot in the, the roofing space with uh, marketing centric roofing companies, you know, and so that was kind of on our side of the hill. Uh, what did you see on your side and how can, you know, the listener listening reinforce their business? So when there is a challenging time like that, that they're not necessarily prepared for it, but they can adapt to it. Okay, that last comment you made, having the ability to adapt to it. As a leader, like that is probably one of the most crucial skills that you can start to develop. Man, the last four years, three, four years have been, they have been wild, absolutely wild for, for organizations, for employees. It has just flipped our our world upside down because we saw, okay, obviously whenever the pandemic hit, half of the company or almost all companies ended up laying off half of their employees if they were able to keep their doors open. A lot of companies, small businesses closed their doors. It was very unfortunate what happened. And then, and then a year, year and a half goes by, and we saw this interesting thing start to occur where the power dynamic from employer and employee started to shift because all of a sudden there were no geographic boundaries for yeah. where you could hire your employees. If you were a software company in California, you could hire a developer in Austin, Texas, and it was no big deal. So all of a sudden, we were no longer constrained by the city that we lived in. Mm. Remote work just became available to everybody. And so we saw this massive inflation of salaries because people could just bounce around. And this is something that I watched very closely over this span of time to see this inflation of all of these salaries and people just jumping and jumping and jumping to go get another 20,000 a year, 30,000 a year, whatever the number ends up being. But what was interesting is we started to see a migration back to the companies they had been with for a, a long period of time. Now, this wasn't absolute, but we did see a lot of movement back to the companies that they ended up leaving because a big salary doesn't always equate to greater quality of life. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I think that a lot of people didn't recognize. They just saw the dollar signs and got yeah. all giddy eyed and, and decided, Hey, I'm going to go do this and ended up being miserable. Now, what's also interesting is what we saw in terms of undeveloped leaders at these companies, because leading a team of 20, 30, however many people in an office where you can just fly by and have yeah. conversations with them daily. That is very different from leading an entirely remote workforce. It can be done, but it's important, again, going back to leaders having the ability to adapt for them to understand the needs of the people on their team. So I'm going to share a little bit of a story. When this happened, I was leading IT and HR whenever the pandemic hit. Our IT teams, they, well, everybody ended up going to work from home. The productivity of our IT team skyrocketed. And I have to say, like, we had an incredible technology team. One of, like, extremely proud of how, how great this team was. And then they go home and their productivity went even higher. Blew my mind. Wow. Okay. HR. They go home and they struggled. They struggled a lot. 
it took a tremendous amount of time and energy for me to lead and work with the HR professionals. And it didn't take me long to figure it out. These IT professionals, they're usually introverts by nature. And so the thought of staying at home, working in their office and not having to go outside at all, they were in heaven. Yeah. HR professionals are usually social butterflies. They need that social interaction because that's what fills their cup. That's what gets them excited. And when they are confined to their house with no ability to interact with anybody other than their cat, it is debilitating for them. So I had to be intentional as a leader and we used Microsoft Teams. So I would have Teams calls with them daily, sometimes multiple times a day. And there were some people on the team that were fine and others I would have to have multiple teams called, Hey, everything going okay. Send them Starbucks gift cards, like just, just chatting and having some sort of social interaction. And so also one other dynamic that I noticed is with across our organization, the teams that were already high performing because they had strong leaders, they performed even better. And the teams that were just kind of mediocre because they had undeveloped leaders, when we all went home for the pandemic, their teams really started to struggle out in the organization. And it's all a testament to leaders and their ability to adapt to the macro global pandemic or mm. having to send your people to work from home or working in the office or hybrid schedule. It all comes down to a leader's ability to adapt to the macro and what's going on within their teams to ensure that they are able to extract the most out of them. Uh, it's massive. And you really saw it with a lot of, uh, it, you know, at a, at a, how do I say this micro, um, like at a minor level, I don't know how to say it. I'm, uh, smaller level with small and medium sized business like they just went out of business because you know you can equate the leader in you know a couple hundred person company to a small business owner they're they're just an entrepreneur at the end of the day they have this skill set ability to handle multiple uh, divisions uh, multiple ideas and foster uh individuals and bring them up in the ranks and everything and so to me they're just high level entrepreneurs at a corporate level company, kind of like yourself, I would imagine. And so um, it did, it kind of it exposed some of them because if you don't intentionally lead your team and, and you and you rely on them to come into the office, to have those water cooler conversations or to see them there or to be able to manage them by sight, instead of having intentional one-on-ones, um, group calls, you know, uh, tracking their KPIs and and how their overall performance is doing and everything, uh, that's going to be exposed as soon as you go out of the office, you know. And now I, I don't know a whole lot of high-level positions, whether it be corporate or with small businesses, that don't require some type of travel, some type of remote work, some type of uh, adaptability to what the position requires, you know, where you have multiple offices in multiple states and you're traveling, whatever the case is. And so you you got to be able to kind of rely on your technology and your KPIs or your systems so that when you get taken out of your element, which happens a lot more now, you know, whether you're in the office, out of the office, traveling, uh, that you're still able to, to maintain there. So what's interesting point there that I'd like to kind of dive into is how, and this is another area that I actually enjoy working with these size, these mid-size organizations is because, mm -hmm. To be able to navigate through complex macro issues, there, there's skills that you have to have as a business leader or entrepreneur that usually come with time and experience and exposure and, and mm -hmm. uh, understanding of, of how to manage capital, how to get access to capital, uh, how to be disciplined with that capital. You know, th those are those are skills that usually have to be found. And then also to further to your point of having the the systems and processes in place as an entrepreneur that's just starting out. Maybe you've, you're a solopreneur. You've got 10, 20 people, your business. You're really scrappy 
which is good because you are agile, but it's not usually fully baked to a point where you have stable systems and processes that are resilient to right. macro issues. And then as as your organization grows and scales into this, we'll say range that I was talking about earlier of 150 to 1500 employees, usually if you're operating in that realm for any given amount of time, you're going to have pretty solid systems and processes. Not always, but yeah. it's a safe bet. You're probably going to have some stuff that that's pretty solid and makes your organization more resilient. Now, once you go above that threshold, it becomes increasingly challenging to remain agile because these systems and processes become set in stone almost, yeah. which it's, it's like, think about it like turning a big ship. If you're on a, in a bass boat in the lake, you can turn that thing on a dime, right? Mm -hmm. That's gonna be much different than an oil tanker it's going to take you a long time to turn that oil tanker. And yeah. so businesses, it is important that as you grow and scale, you need structure and systems and processes in place so that you can grow and scale. But you also have to be cognizant of the fact that you need to remain agile so that mm -hmm. you can pivot and adapt when necessary. Now, that's, that's massive. Okay, so back to your journey a little bit, you know, you you left the corporate America position and I would imagine you maybe when you did that, you probably had a, a few either avatars or clients already set up to transition to, to kind of help you with that transition and everything. And um, you, what I'm assuming started the way of the Wolf podcast, or you may have started that before. Um, what has that transition been looked like? I mean, were you able to just hey, I'm doing this now, raise your hand basically in the marketplace and then all the clients came to you or what has that journey been like for you? Well, it hasn't been quite <laughs> that easy. I wish it was, yeah. but but I will say, I started the podcast three years ago. Okay. And the intent of the podcast was was twofold. I At that point in my life, I knew that I was passionate about leadership development and wanted to help more people. So I thought, okay, well, this is a medium to be able to get the message out there and help others. Now, the okay. other side of it was I spent the majority of my life as a hardcore introvert, deathly afraid of public speaking and having conversations with people. And I knew that I was going to have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so for the last three years, I have been intentional about creating a podcast every single week, having guests come on the show. I've been intentional about getting up on stages, sitting on panels, giving keynotes, every chance I've had to get on stage in front of people, I've, I've done it. And I'll be honest, even to this day, last night, I went on a, a live virtual speaking event and my heart rate jumped. It, it still gets to me because it's not natural for me, but I started the podcast for those reasons. And I've left every single episode up. I always will because I want people to see that even if you are that introverted IT nerd, you can do it. It's going to be scary and you are going to suck, quite frankly. That's okay. That's part of the process. That's part of growing. So I started the podcast years ago to get better, to get comfortable with public speaking and putting myself out there, being behind a camera, behind a microphone. And an interesting thing started to occur last year is whenever I decided to really seriously hammer down on, OK, I'm going to go ahead and get everything in place so that I can go full time and do my coaching and, and consulting business. I had started dabbling with it on the side and had a few customers that were doing a little bit of work with, but knew like I had to I had to go all in. Now, what the podcast did is it had helped me build skills around public speaking, around having mm -hmm. conversations with complete strangers something that I've never done for the entirety of my life. If I would go to a party, if I didn't know anybody, I wasn't talking to you. I was in the corner petting a dog. I, like I, that was <laughs> my thing, right? And so the podcast helped me develop skills and helped me become a better conversationalist. Also, 
because I have launched an episode every single week for three years, if I, even if I didn't want to, I mm -hmm. still recorded it. I still fired up the camera and mic and I put it out there. It helped build a brand and reputation for me, for being consistent, for being dedicated and driven and motivated and following my cause, putting my dent in the universe. And so what it has done is actually lent that additional credibility to me yeah. and a combination of the podcast and all the networking and the public speaking events. Whenever I did finally raise my hand and say, I'm going out, I'm going to do this. Yeah. The conversations were very easy and it was an overwhelming amount of support that I had mm -hmm. from everybody. And there was actually an event about two months ago that I went and spoke at where I was talking through how important it is to build your brand for yourself. And a lot of companies don't like you having a social media presence if you work mm -hmm. for them full time. My former employer, they made it very clear they don't like they didn't like me having the podcast. So yeah. I was cognizant of that and respectful of that. But also I would still release a show every single week. And mm -hmm. so all of these things, in my opinion, while I've only been officially a full time entrepreneur for not even a year yet, are yeah. vital to the success of starting a company and going out on your own. Because, you know, we've all heard the phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. Fair, right? That is an yeah. accurate statement. However, I like to take it a step further and say, it's actually who knows what you know. <laughs> you have to put yourself out there. You can be the best engineer in the room, but if nobody knows who you are or what you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. So for all of the aspiring entrepreneurs out there, start putting yourself out there. Start building that brand and reputation for yourself, for who you are, what you are all about. It will start to gain momentum over time and you will feel it in your gut when the time is right, when you've got enough of a following on your social media platforms, when you've got enough support, you will know when the time is right. And that is when you jump. I think you're such a great example of it, too, because so many people, you know, when they're challenged with posting once a day or creating a podcast or starting to build a personal brand, they're like, oh, that won't work for me. And it's like your clients are literally, you know, basically corporatized companies now, you know, or the, this certain level is 50 million. Like, where do you go on social media to find a $50 million company? LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. LinkedIn. Right. Yeah. Um, but even, even then though, LinkedIn isn't a consumer type. They're not scrolling LinkedIn typically too much. You know, it's, it's very intentional you go on LinkedIn, yeah. but you've got great content on Instagram. You've got great content on Facebook. And, and so I think if anybody is a testament to that, it's like where it really matters is, okay, I found Sean on LinkedIn, but I also saw that he posted something on Instagram and I, and I resonated with that. I resonate with Sean as a human being. And then I also want to hire him for my $50 million company, you know, because yeah. we see it happen all the time. Like, the biggest business isn't one, you know, in the boardroom. It's one on the golf course yep. or it's one at the barbecue or it's one, you know, at the conference, you know, mm -hmm. at dinner afterwards. When humans yeah. are being humans is when business is one in my, in my mind. And all you're doing is displaying that humanness all, everywhere you can. Yep. And so that builds the no like, and trust factor. And this was a journey that uh, I, I, admittedly struggled with i spent oh god i two years straight posting daily on instagram reels carousels pictures clips quote story like everything i could mm -hmm. and it's it's embarrassing to admit in that two year span of time of following people just every every trick and tool and and thing that i could figure out how to build followers i went mm -hmm. from like 500 to 1900 so i gained 1500 followers in two years of just crushing yeah. like i put yeah. so much time and energy and I, I was getting beyond frustrated with it 
And then it just hit me like six months ago. I looked over to LinkedIn, had over 4,000 followers and wasn't even trying. Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, all right, hold on. There's something here. And at first okay. I had this mindset of I've just wasted all of this time and energy, but it wasn't a waste because I was learning how to create content. I was learning how to edit videos and clips and images and, and putting all of this stuff together. So I built skills along the way. And while my following on Instagram didn't blow up, I actually realized in that last week, I was just having a conversation with a friend. Mm -hmm. I, I got into, I, I avoid internet arguments at all costs. Right. I got sucked into one that uh, the page was called Real Courage Leadership. And the lady had basically posted an article where somebody interviewed for a role and it was a startup. Uh, long mm -hmm. story short, there wasn't an alignment. And so right. the candidate got all pissed off and wrote an article about it. And it, like everything blew up. And I posted a comment and I said, maybe I'm, am I missing something here? The, the employer and the candidate didn't have alignment on expectations why not just go find another job somewhere else? Like why have this whole big explosion? You would have thought I was the spawn of Satan. I was obliterated with all these people that making comments like you're what's wrong with corporate America and just on and on. I was like, oh, okay, all right, fine. But anyways, so where I'm going with that is it's important to understand where people's minds are at when they are on a given platform. That's when fair. they are on Instagram, they don't care about career development. They want to see right. monkeys dancing. They want to see dogs chasing balls. They want to be entertained. Mm -hmm. They are on Instagram and Facebook from an escapism perspective, right. which is why the majority of my content is all around leadership and culture and building teams and growing in your mm -hmm. career. That makes sense that I would randomly post stuff on LinkedIn and I had a lot, I twice, three times as many followers on yeah. LinkedIn because that's where their heads are at on that platform. So this all comes back to be aware of where their heads are at on a given platform and tailor your content for that. I'm not saying don't be true to yourself, but, yeah. but tweak and adjust as necessary so that the content gets more reach on a given platform. And that's a miss that I think a lot of people struggle with. It took me years to figure that out. Yeah. I wish it hadn't taken me so long. I've been following Gary V for years and <laughs> Gary's like, post, 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 post. And, yeah. and, you know, Gary's like, well, create this content here and this content here. And I'm like, Gary, you're talking about 10, 15 posts a day. That's ridiculous. I don't think you have to do it at that scale. However, if you right. were to do it at that scale, you probably would have learned the lessons that I did in a much shorter period of time than yeah. a few years. Now I couldn't agree more with that. You know, when, when it's about faith, being a dad um, or some type of growth, Facebook hits hard when it's, it's a vibe. Instagram hits hard. You know what I mean? When it's just yep. a picture, a really good picture or a real Instagram mm -hmm. hits hard. And then uh, LinkedIn, I haven't cracked that code yet, but to be honest, I haven't been putting my efforts there. And that's because that's where, that's not where my client is. They're on Facebook and Instagram because they're small yeah. businesses, you know, yeah. versus LinkedIn. If they're on there, it's to, to have a spot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To be there. And that's about it. And so um, I definitely resonate with that, but in reverse because of my demographic, you know, and yeah. that just goes to show exactly what you're saying. Different mm -hmm. people, spaces, different intentions. And you got to cater to that to a degree. Yeah. You know? And I think LinkedIn is, is still overlooked in that regard for the, for the mm -hmm. SMB space. Yeah. Because organic reach on LinkedIn is still miles ahead yeah. of of Instagram and Facebook. I mean, organic, in my opinion, organic reach on Instagram and Facebook is pretty much dead. I mean, it yeah. is extremely challenging to get uh, significant amounts of organic reach on those platforms. Now, if you pay yeah. for reach, that's a whole mm -hmm. different story. And then ad spend is getting increasingly expensive on those platforms. But yep. uh, LinkedIn for company pages, it's still you got to pay for the ads. But mm -hmm. for individual pages, 
the organic reach is still there as long as it's meaningful. And one thing that I'll also add, people get frustrated on any given platform. I post, I post, I post, and I can't get yeah. you know additional followers. And then it's like, oh, hashtags. Oh, well, yeah, okay. But what I've seen be the most successful is actually engaging in other people's content in yeah. a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And I was coaching somebody, I don't know, probably about six, eight months ago. His LinkedIn presence was just horrible. He'd been interviewing and interviewing and interviewing, couldn't really find another job. Mm-hmm. And we started beefing up his LinkedIn presence. And I said, man, you got to start commenting on people's posts and engaging yeah. with them. He's like, it's so frustrating because they're all idiots. I was like, yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> but that's just an incredible opportunity for you to showcase the value sure. that you add. When you comment on somebody's post in a meaningful way and provoke thought or even better emotion on their content, they're going to say, well, wait, who is this Joe guy? What is he all about? And then they go look at your profile and they see you posting quality content. I'm going to connect with this person. Oh, actually, I need somebody to do that. Or I know somebody that needs somebody that can do that. So don't just post content, respond to people's content, share other people's content. And this is something that there are competitors in my space that do leadership development, coaching and things like that. I am regularly sharing their stuff because if it's good, I want to get it out there. And some people are like, well, that's your competitor. I don't care. My mission and purpose is to help people grow and succeed. And if the Carden group has an incredible post that's meaningful and adds value, I'm going to share it. I, yeah. You know, that's because that's what it's all about. And and I think that's a miss. You know, it comes from a scarcity mindset, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we've had several people in some of my groups uh, come up and start doing sales program coaching or, or sales consulting or whatever the case is. I've literally had them on the podcast, like jumped on calls with them, helped them with their offer, you know, told, told them what worked for me, you know, and all that's done is beefed up my credibility. You know, like if you, if you want to look at it from a tactical standpoint, if you're coaching the person that's doing what you do, then what does that make you, you know what I mean? Like, let's be fair. And so, uh, but also if you have that attitude that, like you said, abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset, uh, people recognize that people see that they're like, Oh, he's not afraid of competition. He's ready to Mm -hmm. compete, you know? Yep. And so um, I love it. I love it so much. Brother, I can't thank you enough for coming on the episode. We're running out of time here. I'm glad you already shared your purpose with us because that's something we ask about at the end of the show. But you did share that with us already. And uh, if you guys have a referral for Sean, uh, we're definitely going to post all his contact info in there. But follow the guy. He's got amazing content. And it does. It applies to the corporate leader. It applies to the small business owner. I feel like a lot of his content is applicable to all mediums. And so definitely, if you get a chance, go ahead and follow him on that. Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show, brother. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, let's get building.